Before we start, let's remember the people caught up in the terrible earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. The power of nature is enormous, devastating and unpredictable. As I drafted this, the death toll was already at 1,700. As I record this, the total is approaching 5,000 and still rising. Syria is riven with civil war, largely forgotten since the conflict in Ukraine began, but making it very difficult for the more than 40 countries which have offered help to get into the country. I hope that help will extend to welcoming people who have lost homes, families and businesses to settle in a new country if they feel that's where their future should lie. I hope, and it's probably a vain hope, that the opposing sides in the war will work together to help the thousands of people affected by this disaster. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day and it's the 8th of February 2023. As you may have suspected, I've been taking an extended break with interviews uploaded for every Wednesday up till now from before Christmas. Sustainability news doesn't stop, nor does the weather, nor do greenhouse gas emissions. I have a bit of catching up to do, including Extinction Rebellion, more extreme weather, wood-burning stoves, the government's environmental plan, FOMO and FOFO, the controversy over VERA and carbon offsets, the future for podcasts, the financial climate, the unlawful arrest of journalists, biodiversity and the cost of Twitter, a comment from Greta, and a whole lot more that I'm going to have to hold over until next week. First, just stop oil. You may remember that last year seven women were found guilty of criminal damage after they deliberately and very carefully cracked the glass at the front of Barclays Bank's headquarters in Canary Wharf. They stuck labels on it saying, In case of climate emergency, break glass. Barclays Bank is a major investor in the fossil fuel industry and has continued to invest billions since the 2015 Paris Agreement to curb emissions. On the 27th of January, the seven came up for sentence and were given between six and eight months imprisonment, suspended for two years. Each defendant will have to pay £500 in prosecution costs. Counsel for the prosecution said that Barclays sought compensation, believed to be around £100,000, but no compensation costs were imposed by the judge. It's not clear whether Barclays can recover compensation by a separate legal action. I hope to talk to one of the defendants, Zoe Cohen, who's appeared previously on the Sustainable Futures Report, and find out more details. The judge spoke about the defendants' sincerely held beliefs, which to my mind categorises them with religions which are no more than lifestyle choices. Climate science is real. It can never be totally definitive, and there is always the possibility that it will be proved wrong. But at the moment, the overwhelming probability is that the continued emissions of greenhouse gases, significantly caused by the consumption of fossil fuels, will lead to planetary disaster. While we can accept that science may possibly be wrong, we are taking a very risky course if we ignore it altogether. In the UK, the professional bodies for lawyers are the Bar Council and the Law Society, I must look into whether they provide guidance to their members on climate issues. 
Extinction Rebellion started the year with a clear resolution. We quit. They're going to stop staging non-violent protests which inconvenience the public. They want to avoid alienating the public. Of course, if no one is inconvenienced, there's no story. No media coverage, no change. But blocking roads and so on does not achieve change either. The only reaction from government seems to be the promise of more legislation to curb protests and free speech. The new strategy that Extinction Rebellion is calling the big one involves getting everyone on side and culminating in 100,000 people assembling in London's Parliament Square on the 21st of April. The details are on the website and it looks as though the plan is to besiege Parliament and for as many people as possible to stay as long as possible, maybe days, weeks, until Parliament is forced to act. Not many people have signed up so far, but there are more than two months to go. I should be there on the 21st, but for those of us living outside London, it is difficult to stay for much longer because of transport and accommodation costs. Between now and then, there's a continuing information campaign urging all supporters to explain to friends and family why all this is important and how it links in with inflation, rising prices and industrial unrest. They say... Integrated with Extinction Rebellion's methodical mobilisation campaign project 3.5, thousands of people with a shared purpose will build bridges of inclusion and cooperation and through revitalised engagement and a calendar of actions. As the days count down, momentum, relationships, resilience, trust and numbers build up. XR points out that a mass gathering brought down the Berlin Wall. It appears that Just Stop Oil and Insulate Britain are not convinced by this new approach and will continue with non-violent direct action. Why is this important? It's important because nothing is being done, or at least not nearly enough. Every COP ends with promises and the expectation that everything will be finally sorted at the next COP. And so we go on, as the clock counts down and the rates of CO emissions continue to rise. Once again, 2022 was the hottest year on record, with an exception in December. As the year came to an end, North America experienced exceptional snowstorms and freezing temperatures extending way south. As the new year started, Europe experienced a heatwave. Right across Europe, temperatures were up to 10 degrees centigrade above normal. It is difficult to sympathise with the rich whose ski brakes were spoilt by snowmelt, more important to be concerned about the effect this might have on agriculture. You know, the industry that grows all the food without which we'd all starve. You may not have heard of the Kimberley. It's actually in the far northwest of Australia. Over Christmas, ex-tropical cyclone Ellie made landfall with extensive flooding in the towns of Fitzroy Crossing and Broome and dozens of bridges washed away. Remote settlements were cut off and without power for weeks. James Ashley from the Bureau of Meteorology said 60,000 cubic metres of water per second were moving down the Fitzroy River. That's more water than they believe they've seen in any river in Australia ever. Moving down the river in one day is about what Perth uses water-wise in 20 years, he said. When I wrote this in January, the floods in the Kimberley were still high, 
but the snows had receded in the US and forecasters were predicting unseasonable warm weather in the northeastern states. Now, this week, a record-setting wind chill of minus 78 degrees Celsius was recorded at the summit of Mount Washington in New Hampshire as a blast of Arctic air descended on the northeast corner of the United States. What was once classed as extreme weather seems to be rapidly becoming the norm. It's suggested that the return of El Nino in 2023 will lead to more extreme weather towards the end of the year and into 2024. Before all that happens, there is damage to be undone. In the Kimberley, in the US, in Europe, and let's not forget Pakistan, which suffered extensive floods last year. And sympathy too, to the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, although we can't blame the climate for that. It may be circumstantial, but everything else is very clear evidence of the effects of climate change and our progress down the highway to hell, described by Antonio Guterres, General Secretary of the UN. That's why it's important. That's why we must pressure the UK government and all other governments to act. Yes, the UK is tiny in the scheme of things, responsible for only about 1% of global greenhouse gas emissions. But the UK government is the one we in the UK have the best chance of influencing. We must do all we can to get it on the right side of the argument. For the moment, the government appears to be ill-informed and defeatist. Our Minister for the Environment, Therese Coffey, she who recommended reusable coffee cups as a route to saving the planet, has relaxed the requirements on water companies to clean up river pollution and says that the 2030 target to cut back urban air pollution is unachievable, so she's reduced the targets for that as well. Not unachievable at all, according to research by King's College and Imperial College London. The government could achieve the more stringent targets, which are supported by the public in polls, they say, if it took stronger action on the sources of pollution, which include diesel cars and wood-burning. Wood-burning stoves, which are a fashion item rather than an efficient heat source, pollute the atmosphere of the room every time they are opened for refuelling, and domestic burning of coal and wood is responsible for 40% of outdoor particulate pollution. Sarah Woolnuff, chief executive of charity Asthma and Lung UK, said, Air pollution is a public health emergency which causes 36,000 premature deaths each year. There are regulations to control smoke and soot, but despite thousands of complaints, only a handful have ever led to prosecution. Therese Coffey has said she doesn't want to point fingers. And to be fair, local authorities who are responsible for enforcing the law have ever-dwindling resources and many more important things to deal with. We've all heard of FOMO, fear of missing out, but the new acronym is FOFO, fear of finding out. It's the theme of that film, Don't Look Up. Don't look up and you won't see that meteorite, that glowing fireball on a direct collision course with the Earth. Don't look up, you won't see it. If you can't see it, it can't be there, can it? La la la, la la la, la la la. When people put serious comments about the climate on social media, they're frequently trolled by people who want to share the most ridiculous ideas, to make the most ridiculous accusations, and surely this is just displacement activity because they're afraid to find out the truth. Did you see that film, by the way? 
I've just watched Seaspiracy. I know it came out over a year ago, but like Don't Look Up, it is only available on Netflix, and I don't have a subscription. A number of things about Seaspiracy. I wonder if you'll ever eat fish again after you've seen it. It features Professor Callum Roberts, formerly of York University. Some of you will remember that I interviewed him for the Sustainable Futures Report in October 2015. The Sustainable Futures Report for the 1st of February 2021 went into detail about fishing, the oceans and pollution. It included commentary on What a Fish Knows by Jonathan Balcom. Read it if you haven't already, and then see if you still want to eat fish. Last month, The Guardian and German magazine Die Zeit published a report criticising VERA, the international organisation which certifies the majority of carbon credits. We're talking about a particular type of carbon credit, RED+, R-E-D-D+, reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation. Businesses of all types purchase these credits and assure their customers that their operations are carbon neutral. Flying with their airline, eating their sausages, even filling up with their petrol is apparently helping the planet because they've purchased VERA-certified carbon credits. The Guardian Die Zeit report claims that over 90% of these credits are worthless and have no beneficial effect on the climate. They may even, they claim, cause damage. VERA has responded in detail and links to the original article and to the response are in the sources section at the end of this article on the Sustainable Futures Report website, which you will remember is sustainablefutures.report. Although Red Plus credits are endorsed by the United Nations, I've always had doubts about them, even if they work well. If part of a rainforest is cleared, then this destruction leads to the emission of greenhouse gases, principally CO2. VERA has detailed methodologies for assessing exactly how much CO2 would be emitted, taking into account the type and age of the trees and vegetation. The theory is that the landowner will be paid not to cut the forest, and this therefore avoids an increase in atmospheric greenhouse gases, which would otherwise occur. The purchaser receives carbon credits in proportion to this, emits an equivalent volume of CO2 from its own operations and claims that the net effect is carbon neutral. The Guardian Die Zeit report takes issue with the way certification is handled. Is there really a likelihood that this forest will be felled? Is forest destruction actually being avoided? My concern is with the actual principle involved. Even if it works, there is no reduction in CO2 levels. In fact, there is a gain. Let's take an example. A bathtub, half full, where the water represents the greenhouse gas contained in the atmosphere. We don't want that water level, emissions level, to rise. But if I operate my business as usual, I'm going to generate emissions represented by a bucket full of water. Happily, I meet a forester who tells me that if he cuts down his trees, the emissions released will be about the same as mine. I pay him not to cut down his trees, and so not to tip his bucket into the bath. He gives me a certificate to confirm the agreement and the emissions value of the trees that he's not cutting down. I empty my bucket into the bath 
and claim that my operation is carbon neutral because it is completely offset by the trees that were not cut down. The reason I see this as a total illusion is because at the end of the day the level in the bath has been increased by one bucketful. If I'd not paid the forester and he'd tipped his bucket into the bath, then the level would have gone up by two buckets full, so the increase is less than it might have been, but it is still an increase. It would only be carbon neutral if someone had actually removed one bucket of water from the bath before I tipped mine in. If we rely on illusory offsets to allow us to continue business as usual, the problem of atmospheric emissions is only going to get worse. The sad fact is that despite all the offset schemes, the level of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is not only increasing, but increasing at a faster rate. I'll have more to say on this in a future episode. Jerome H. Powell, chair of the US Federal Reserve, said last month that the Fed was not the right institution to delve into issues like mitigating climate change. Without explicit congressional legislation, it would be inappropriate for us to use our monetary policy or supervisory tools to promote a greener economy or to achieve other climate-based goals, he said. We are not and will not be a climate policymaker. Mr Powell has been clear that the Fed should not try to incentivise banks to lend to green projects or discourage them from lending to carbon-producing ones. It should retain political independence in all matters. In London, the Governor of the Bank of England expressed similar views. The obvious conclusion is that legislation must urgently be put into place, because there is no doubt that finance is the lifeblood of the fossil fuel industry, as it is of any other industry or organisation. As long as finance is made available to the fossil fuel industry, protesters will continue to protest. Some just-stop-oil activists have stated that the only penalty which would deter them would be the death penalty. The government is a long way from that, of course, but it is introducing legislation to make protests more difficult. The law currently going through Parliament will give the police increased powers and will allow them to prevent people that they suspect might possibly cause a disturbance from attending protests or rallies. Let's get this clear. They are not arresting people for committing offences, but they will in future be allowed to detain them because they might be going to cause a disturbance. A worrying story comes from London, where the mayor was holding a public inquiry into the proposed Silvertown Tunnel beneath the Thames. A number of people who objected to the scheme were recognised and called by name by the security guards at the entrance and refused permission to enter. Apparently, they'd been identified with the use of CCTV and facial recognition. What database they were on and what right the security staff had to use this data is not clear, but the fact they were excluded raises questions about freedom of speech and secret surveillance. It also casts doubt on the value of the public inquiry if interested members of the public were excluded. Last year, members of Just Stop Oil blocked the M25, London's orbital motorway, Journalists covering the story were arrested and detained overnight by the police, even though they provided their credentials as journalists. Hertfordshire Constabulary have admitted their officers acted unlawfully by arresting a photographer and violated his right to free speech and the forces accepted liability for false imprisonment over his detention. No doubt the other three will receive similar apologies. So is that all right then? 
Of course not. Police know the rights of journalists. It's hard to believe that these reporters were not only arrested but taken to the cells. The public were deprived of an independent view of the protest and of the actions of the police. A Bill of Rights is currently going through Parliament. At present, British citizens have a right of appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. Britain was one of the founders of the ECHR, which is completely separate from the EU and therefore totally unaffected by Brexit. It is likely that the new Bill of Rights will remove the right of appeal to the ECHR. Will that make things better for the citizen? Or better for governments determined to push through their dogma at any cost? A couple more stories before I leave you. The COP15 Biodiversity Conference was held before Christmas and the conclusion was that $30 billion would be needed to protect biodiversity in areas most at risk. It's been pointed out that at around the same time Elon Musk decided to spend $40 billion on a vanity purchase, the takeover of Twitter. One cannot help wondering whether the best place for vast riches is in the hands of rich people. Are podcasts no longer fashionable? I read somewhere that the rate of new podcasts being launched is declining, but I read somewhere else that in the UK at least the number of listeners to podcasts is expected to grow. Not sure what to make of that, but I can tell you that the Sustainable Futures Report has been going since 2007, although not called that at the beginning. This is episode number 447, and I'll probably get to 500 before I give up. In fact, I'll probably be very close to 500 around the turn of the year. I hope you'll still be with me, and I hope as many of your friends, as you can tell, will be with me as well. This is quite a long podcast, mainly because there are so many stories to catch up on. It'll probably come out at around 30 minutes, I wrote as I drafted this. But as I do the recording, I can see I'm just on about 22. I'd very much like to have your feedback about the length of each episode. I know some people produce hour-long editions and others cut it back to as little as 10 minutes. I know the length of my episodes is not particularly consistent. But if I were able to be consistent, what's your ideal length? And finally, a word from Greta. Former kickboxer, professional misogynist and online influencer Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan Tate were recently arrested by Romanian authorities in connection with appalling allegations of sex trafficking, which they deny. Just before that, he'd sent a tweet to Greta Thunberg about his sports car collection. Please provide your email address so I can send a complete list of my car collection and their respective enormous emissions, he wrote. Greta's response? Yes, please do enlighten me. Email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com And that's a note to end on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a patron, if you are, and all you have to do is to go to patreon.com slash sfr if you're not. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Who knows what next week will bring? Another episode of the Sustainable Futures Report for sure. Bye for now. Thank you.